The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Awesome. Well, we are continuing in our series, The Story, this week. And uh, if you've been tracking with us, we're, we're actually coming along very nicely here. Uh, let me just give you a summary of where, we're, where we've been and where we're at now. So we started several weeks ago. God creates the world, says it's good. Humanity rebels, falls into sin. God immediately sets forth a plan to redeem and restore his good creation. And he does it. His plan is to do it through a nation Uh, that he creates through one man. He calls a man named Abraham and says, I'm gonna create a people out of you. And he does that. And now it's been like hundreds and hundreds of years. And and last week we looked at how the the nation of Israel, the people of Abraham, they found themselves enslaved in Egypt. Uh, But last week God radically delivers them from slavery and sends them out. And so here we are in our text for today where you got this group of people wandering around the wilderness and God is leading them through it all. But we see what's happening is, is that as they're wandering, God says, hey, all right, so I just rescued you from slavery. And they, they get to Mount Sinai and he says, I want to do something. I want to make this official, right? When we have things that are important, things that matter, we always sort of put ceremony around it. And so that's what's going on here is God says, hey, come to this mountain and we're going to make this official. You're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And so what we're looking at today, the text we're looking at is called the, the Sinaitic Covenant, all right, pretty fun. Sinaitic covenant. And, uh, and it's this covenant. We see three components to it. There's three components to it. There's, there's God's grace. And then there's, which brings about obedience that's inspired by his presence. All right, God's grace brings about obedience inspired by his presence. So that's what we're going to see today. Let's go. Grace. Look with me at verses three to four. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. All right, so we got the people of Israel have just been delivered from slavery. They get out to the wilderness. They go to this mountain. Moses goes up. And the first thing God says to Moses is, Hey, Tell my people about how I rescued them from slavery. Now let's think about this for a second. This just happened. God just rescued them from slavery. And he delivered them through a pretty creative process, right? Like 10 massive plagues, including but not limited to the Nile River turning to blood, frogs everywhere, boils, complete darkness. Uh, And then on top of it, as they're walking out of Egypt, God splits the Red Sea in half and they walk across on dry land. Like, I don't think they forgot that happens. You know, like, like, why is God telling Moses to remind them that it happens? I'm pretty sure they're going to remember. So why does he do that? Here's why. He wants to remind his people how their relationship works. He wants to remind his people how their relationship works. See, God is about to give them the law. How they're supposed to live the rules for how to live. He's about to lay that on them. And he knows that the the default setting of the human heart, our natural tendency, our natural temptation is to approach God in what I'd say is a religious way. That our natural tendency is to relate to God by what we do, by our good deeds. And God knows that as he gives the law, that that's gonna be their their go-to. And so he says, hey, hey, before I give you law, remember, our relationship existed before any of this. Remember, I saved you, I delivered you, I made you my own people, not because you did anything, not because you deserved it, 
but simply because of who I am. Simply because of my grace for you. You see, grace always precedes obedience. And so before God gives them the law, he reminds them that the basis of their relationship is grace, grace, grace. And see, this is so important for us to get because we so easily forget God's grace. Like, we're so quick to lose sight of the rescue and deliverance that God has given us. Uh, there's actually a, an old Jewish parable about this. Uh, and, and the story goes like this, that um, when, when God is delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt, that there's two guys walking next to each other, and they're, they're walking across the ground of the Red Sea, but they don't look up. And they just look down the whole time, and they're like, gosh, this ground is just like so muddy, you know, it's like really slippery and it's like getting in my sandals. And, this is, and they spend the whole time walking across the ground of the Red Sea complaining, completely ignoring the fact that there's two massive walls of water being held up by the power of God. Now, how much do we do that too? How much do we do that too? Where we get so bogged down with what we're doing, so bogged down with all this stuff that we got to do complaining about our circumstances that we fail to see the massive walls of water that are being held up by God. We fail to see God's grace in our life. This actually hit me uh, this last week. So um, for, how did it go? Oh yeah, for the last two years, uh, I've had a, a, a leadership coach who I meet with once a month. And uh, this last week I met with him and it was actually our last time meeting. So just get ready for leadership to really plummet. Um, but... Um, <laughs> But, uh, but so, so met with him, and, um, and since it was our last time meeting, he, all we did for it was he just read for me his notes from the first two sessions that, that he and I had together when he was my coach, and, I, and I'm, I'm working with him. And so what he does is, is I just kind of lay like, you know, I basically curl up in the fetal position, tell him everything that's going on, and he says, all right, well, this is how you prioritize it, and I get to work, and so that's what we do. And so he, uh, he read through the notes my first two times. So two years ago, the first two times we met, he read through those notes, and I was just, like, filled with awe. Like, I was amazed, because I remember when I first talked to him, like, the stuff that was going on, then the things I, I felt like I had to figure out that were so urgent were just, like, right up here. And it just made me think, like, as I looked back there, I thought, like, God, you have done so much in two years. God, you've done so much to, to take care of me, to take care of our church, to take care of my life. Like, you've just blessed me so much. I almost just like burst out and, and, and praising God, which is weird for me to do spontaneously, but it almost happened. You know, it was just incredible. And so how about you? So I want to encourage you to do the same thing. To, to look back on your life and remember what God has done for you. Remember where God's grace worked itself out in your life. When he became real to you. Do you remember that? Do you, do you remember how maybe he's pulled you out of some sin, how he's pulled you out of some darkness? Can you see his grace at work in your life? See, we are so quick to forget that. We're so quick to forget that, that God's grace is at work in our lives. And so God reminds the Israelites and us that he's the God who delivers his people from slavery. He's the one who's delivered you from slavery to sin, death, and the devil through Jesus. He reminds us that he's done that, that it's all his grace. Our entire relationship to him is based on his grace and his mercy for us. But then we see in this text is that as those rescued by his grace were then called to lives of obedience. Look with me at verse 5. 
Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. All right, so God says, hey, our whole relationship is based on grace, but in light of that grace, as you look at that, live a life of obedience to me, obey my voice. And I realize that for many modern people, this makes us kind of uncomfortable. Like, we love the idea of God's grace. That's a great thing. But the idea of obedience, a little shaky on, a little shaky on, right? Like, here's what I mean. By and large, most people in our culture and, and quite frankly in the world believe there is a God, right? There's some sort of higher power. There's a few atheists out there, you know, 15-year-olds that took freshman year biology and read a Richard Dawkins quote and now well, they know everything. Um, it's adorable. Um, but, uh, but by and large, 85, 90% of people in our country believe that there is some sort of God. So existence is, in God is generally not an issue. See, the issue that people have with God is when he tries to insist on his way of doing things. The nerve of that guy. That he'd actually call us to live a certain way. And so we hear a story like this and we say, hey, great, man, God's grace. He rescued these people from slavery. That's awesome. Then he brings them to a mountain and tells them how to live. Come on. He basically rescued them from one slavery in order to put them into another slavery. How oppressive and tyrannical. And see, the logic for that argument is this. For God to set rules for his people to follow means he's restricting their freedom. And if you restrict freedom, that's oppression. Restricting freedom is oppression. Let me tell you something. It's not that simple. Freedom is more complicated than that, and the law is more liberating than that. Here's why. First of all, we need to recognize that this happens at a particular time in a particular place. And so God gives his law to the people of Israel, to an entire nation of people. And so let's recognize the context of our text. It's two million people. Most scholars agree that Israel's grown to about the size of two million people at this point in history, wandering around the desert. So it's a two million person refugee camp. And so God lays down some law because you need to keep order. He's got to protect people that way. Right? That's why we need law. Like, if you don't believe me, right, you look at Syria right now. What happens when there's no law in place? Terrible, terrible things. And so God lays down the law to protect people. But then there's more. It's more than just the, the practicality of it. He says, obey my voice. Why does he say obey my voice? For all the earth is mine. In other words, he says, listen to me, do what I tell you to do, because I know how this stuff works. I created it. Following my law, listening to my rules, syncs you up with reality. He's the God who made stuff work. He knows how to best live in this world. And so that's what he's telling his people. This syncs you up with reality. So it, it's like this. Like um, a fish is, is so oppressed and restricted by water. You know what we should do? Let's free that bad boy. Get him out of the water. What happens? He's a mess. He's dying. He's flopping around. He's no good. No, no, no. You put him in the water, the place he's made to live, the place he's made to be, and he's actually more free than you could possibly imagine. I see it's the same thing with God's law. That we're made to live in it. 
We're made to live in sync with it. We're made to move in it. Things just work better that way. They just do. When we're synced up with his reality. And someone may say, okay, Gabe, I'm with you. Follow God's law. But listen, I've read the rest of Exodus. And I've read Leviticus. And I've read Deuteronomy. Because I'm a love punishment. And, uh, and so I've, I've read through it. And I noticed there's a bunch of laws in there that we don't follow. And so you're saying we're supposed to follow God's law and sync up with reality. But listen, I eat bacon a lot. You know, there's an issue here, bro, right? Have you ever heard something like that? Like usually there's, there's some part of our culture uh, that um, Scripture doesn't line up with. And people say, well, what's wrong with you Christians, right? You're, you're so intent on following this command, but then you ignore all these other commands. You're just picking and choosing from the Bible. That's what you're doing. You're just cherry picking the Bible. You don't follow the whole thing. Just picking what you like. We've heard something like this before. All right, so what's the deal? Let me answer our concerned friend in the YouTube comment section. Um, when, when God gave his law to the people of Israel in the Old Testament, there's two parts to it. There's the moral law and the ceremonial law. The moral law, God's laying out once and for all, this is good, that's bad. Ethical code stays, good to go. The ceremonial law, however, was God, the laws he laid out for the Old Testament people that set them apart culturally. That set them apart as a nation. And so, yeah, there were specific dietary laws. There were rules for clothing. There were civil laws that that enforced uh, how, how you punished crime. There was instructions on worship that made the nation of Israel, you know, like a nation. But then Jesus comes And when Jesus comes, he launches the kingdom of God. And as he does that, he creates a people who are no longer bound by culture, who are no longer bound by national ties, but they're bound by the gospel. And so because the gospel transcends all nationalities, we see again and again in the New Testament that all food, all the ceremonial laws, all the civil laws are just abolished. We don't deal with them anymore. We still keep the moral law. Ten commandments are still a good thing. But the rest of that doesn't matter anymore because we're a people now that transcends cultures, that transcends nationalities. And so we're not cherry-picking the Bible. We're actually reading through the whole thing and interpreting it in the best way possible. Make sense? We good? All right. Sorry, I got a little grumpy at the end there. Okay. Um, so not only is God's law pragmatic in the sense that it shaped the nation of Israel, not only is it practical that it syncs us up with reality, but it's got one more dimension to it. It's relational. It's relational. See, God says to obey him not only because it syncs us up with reality, but, he, but because he says, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. You shall be my treasured possession among all people. So in other words, God says, hey, listen, I'm the creator I've got a relationship with absolutely everything in this world. But you guys as my people, there's going to be an intimacy to our relationship. There's going to be a depth to our relationship that no one else is going to have, that no other creature is going to have. And you're going to experience that as you follow my commands. See, it's like a marriage. Uh, So I'm in a, a covenant relationship with my wife. Uh, and that implies certain restrictions on me, Right? Because we've committed to one another, there's inherent restrictions on us. I can't uh, do whatever I want. I can't spend money however I want. I can't sleep with a bunch of different women. I, I can't use my time however I want. 
I can't just watch Sons of Anarchy. I also have to watch Gilmore Girls, right? There's restrictions. But you don't see me whining about it. You don't see me complaining about it, how oppressive my marriage is. Oh, I can't believe how oppressive this thing. No. Why? Because I love my wife. And she loves me. And we're committed to one another. And Gilmore Girls is actually pretty good, right? And so, so it's, it's, it's the same thing with God, that he's covenanted with us. He's made us his people. And so it only makes sense that in a covenant relationship with him, we'd practice fidelity towards our God. That we would be his treasured possession. See, if you get all that God's done to claim you, if you get everything that God has done to make you his own through sending his son Jesus to purchase you from sin and death, if you get that, then it only makes sense that you'd want to live towards him. You're not going to toss him aside. You're not going to kick him to the curb. You're all in, baby. It's a covenant relationship. But what I love most is, is, is God's grace and then his call for, for our obedience isn't just this internal thing. Like, it isn't just about like, all right, well, I'll obey God because that's just the right thing to do and, and it's what we do as his people. No, 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 no. God's got bigger plans. See, our obedience is actually for the sake of the world. Look with me at verse 6. God says to Israel, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. All right, so God says, I've, I've saved you by grace. Now obey me, and as you do, you'll be a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? Well, what does a priest do in ancient times? What did a priest do in ancient times? Well, we see that priests offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. And we see that priests prayed prayers for the people. And we see that priests took care of, of the ceremonies and took care of everything going on in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple. And so again and again and again, what we see the role of the priest is, is a mediator between God and humanity. That the, the priest is the bridge between the divine and the human. And what God says to his people here in this text is he says, that's what I want you to be. Like, like all of you. All of you. I want you to be the bridge between me and the rest of the world. When the world looks at you, I want them to see me. When the world sees your life, I want them to look for me and find me. You see, that's what a priest is. It's the, the bridge between the human and the divine. And guess what? In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter says that anyone who's in Christ is part of this priesthood. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, what he says here is if you're in Christ, if you recognize that you're one of the people that God has delivered, that God has set free from sin and death and the devil through Jesus Christ, then you're part of this kingdom of priests. It means that, that you're a bridge between the divine and the human. You are. 
And so your obedience, your life, the way you act, the way you speak is meant to serve as a bridge. It's meant to point the world to the God who saves. And see, this is maybe something we take for granted in our church culture today, but man, you go back to like 16th century, my boy Martin Luther, right? At his time, he's like, he's studying, and as far as he was concerned, total obedience to God, proclaiming the gospel, and and expanding God's kingdom, all of that work was meant for the clergy. All of that work was meant for the professional guys who had the education and flapped their lips up front. That's who it was for. And then he came across this passage, and his mind was blown away. Because it meant that that being a priest, being the bridge between the human and the divine, wasn't just for a select few, but it's for everybody. And so he calls this the priesthood of all believers. And I love that. I love that because it means that you, that God is using you, who you are, to show the world who he is. God is using who you are to show the world who he is. And so how's that going for you? Hopefully pretty good. Uh, But I know for a lot of Christians, uh, that can actually be really hard and really scary and intimidating. And, uh, And so they don't follow God's commands when it's hard, and they certainly don't speak about their faith to anyone. And that's why the last part of our text is actually so important. Uh, See, the Israelites say, yeah, we'll follow God's command. But then in verse 9, God says this to Moses. If you guys look at it with me, he says this. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So God says to Moses, hey, I'm coming down to the people. I'm going to be present with the people in a thick cloud. They're going to hear my voice. People are going to know it's me. I'm going to be present. And see, this is good news because it means that God doesn't just deliver us. He doesn't just call us to obedience, but he's actually present with us. And what's awesome is it's even better for us. See, we don't have the presence of God in the form of a thick cloud at the base of a mountain. But man, we have the presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ. See, we know we're saved because of Jesus. We know we're called to obedience because of Jesus. We know we're part of his royal priesthood because of Jesus. We know that God is present with us right now because of Jesus. Now, please understand how this is helpful if you're having a hard time living out as as a part of the priesthood of all believers. This is how it helps you out. Because you're pointing people to a person, not a principle. You're pointing people to a person, not a principle, and that makes all the difference in the world. See, I think so often Christians have a hard time fulfilling God's call in their life to live as a kingdom of priests because they think they have to somehow defend or argue for or articulate some sort of dogma, some sort of doctrine, some sort of list of rules. And so for people that are perhaps a little bit more passive naturally, that's really intimidating for them, and so they just back away and don't say anything. For people that are a bit more abrasive naturally, that forces them to act like a priest in a really weird way, right? Like, I don't know if you guys saw that, but... um, this past week, uh, there was a rally at the, the Capitol building for uh, the uh, inclusion and tolerance of, of Muslims. Um, but unfortunately, a group of about two dozen Christians uh, showed up and protested it, and they heckled this group, 
And then they ended up stealing the microphone. And, uh, and one lady grabs the microphone and proclaimed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over the capital of Texas. Now, why do these people do that? Like, it's just rude, gives us all a black eye. Like, like, why would you do that? They did it because they felt they had a principle they needed to defend. But see, we don't have a principle, we have a person. And so, I, don't get me wrong, I get their zeal. I want everyone to know Jesus. I believe he's the only way to God. I, I believe all that. But guess what? I don't need to declare him Lord over the capital of Texas. You know why? Because he already is. I don't need to declare it. He's already reigning. I don't need to defend him. He's fine. Because he's not a principle. He's a person. Do you see how that can shape you to live life as a priest? So it shapes you to live as a bridge between the human and divine, as someone who points the world to God. See, if you know Jesus, all you do is talk about him. If you know Jesus, you live life with him. It just makes sense. You live for him. So I'm not bashful about my son. I send his pictures to everybody. I'm not angry at people who don't know my son. I'll send them pictures too so they can see how awesome he is right? It's that simple. He's a person, not a principle. So uh, some of you know, let me close here, that um, I meet once a month with uh, a friend of mine, Corey, and, and she listens to my sermons, um, to about three of them, and, and she would probably not call herself a Christian, and, and uh, her and I sit down, and, and we talk for like two hours, because I just know I have inherent blinders when I go into this stuff, that I use language that someone who maybe didn't grow up in church, she's not going to get it, and so she really helps me out and figure that out. Uh, but I remember the first time I sat down with her, and, uh, and she said to me, she goes, you know, Gabe, I, just so you know, I don't really know very much about Jesus at all. Uh, and because I'm a pastor and a huge nerd, I said, that's okay, he knows you. And, uh, I mean, which is true. Um, but, uh, but I said, then I told her, and I said, and I, and I believe he's here with us right now. I believe he's here right now. And so what I loved is she, she pointed to this empty chair sitting next to me, and she goes, well, Jesus, I'm looking forward to getting to know you more. I thought, like, that was so awesome, right? Because it's that simple, right? This is our invitation. This is your invitation. If you've never met Jesus, you can meet him right now. Like, right now, you can do it. Or if you have met Jesus and you have no interest in obeying him, you have no interest in listening to his voice, can I tell you, you should probably talk with him again. Talk with him again, connect with him, pray to him. Let his voice ring out in your life. Recognize his presence in your life. Let's pray. Lord God, we see that as you covenant with your people, as you give them your law, that you call them to be a, a bridge between the rest of the world and you. And God, we know that as your people today, we're meant to show the world who you are. Help us to do that. God, I pray for my friends who are maybe nervous about that or feel weird about it. I pray that, that your presence would be at work in their life. They'd recognize that, uh, that they get to walk with Jesus, the, the person. They get to know him, and I pray that that would be real to them. And, and for people who don't know Jesus, Lord, I pray you'd open their hearts that they would. God, uh, just be with us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.